0: Father, today as we come to scripture, as always we come to learn, we put ourselves in the place of of students, people who are like, uh, we really admire you a lot, we think you have a lot to offer us, and we just ask you, Lord, to teach, I pray that you would use me, I pray that at the end people wouldn't be walking away thinking like that was a good teaching or that was a bad teaching, but people would think like, man, I know how to connect with God this week. And please give us faith. Please give us understanding. Please keep all of this true and healthy and good here in our church. If anybody feels far away from you today, I pray this would be a wonderful day of reconnection. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, <clears throat> now here's the deal. What we're going to do is a look at prayer at the very center of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. Uh, we're going to be talking as we go through Lent, as Kathy said on the video, we're going to be talking about the Lord's Prayer, which is a wonderful prayer. It's, um, it's not hard to remember. Many of us have it memorized in, in older versions of English, you know, our Father who art in heaven, right, hallowed be thy name, which just means Father who's all around us, we love you, we want to keep your name center in our hearts and the most important thing in our lives But one of the most important things about the Lord's Prayer, and I told you already that Dallas Willard says that, you know, one-sixth of the things in the Lord's Prayer are about how fruit, or in the Sermon on the Mount, are how fruitless the whole sermon is if you don't do anything. In other words, we are not accumulators of good teaching. That's not our main role here. What we are is people who are studying how to live. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a a pastor and a leader in the confessing church, uh, as Germany, which had all these you know, Christian roots, uh, really turned away from the Lord and turned uh, anti Semitic and Nazis and all this in the World War II era. Bonhoeffer was a part of the confessing church that uh, just absolutely thought all of that was evil and repugnant. And we pay attention to history, we pay attention to the kind of signals that you need coming out of a time like that and certainly faithful, Christ-following Christians uh, opposed this turn of government against the Jews and uh, into kind of a nationalist kind of a world. And Bonhoeffer says this about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, okay, and probably his whole ministry. The only proper response to this word which Jesus brings with him from eternity is simply to do it, right? First of all, I love the phrase that Jesus bringing a word from eternity. Like, where'd you come from? Well, I came from eternity, right? And I've got something to tell you about the way things really are. The things that are hidden to your eyes most of the time. The things that require faith. Jesus comes to say, this is how my father is. This is how his kingdom is. This is what we're trying to do. This is how you, regular people, can buy into this, play a part of this. This is how you can actually have what we're offering you. He comes from eternity with a word for us. And you can't ignore what Jesus says about prayer, partially because Jesus prayed. Is there anybody in the world in the history of humanity who needed to pray less than Jesus? No, he's God, right? So here's Jesus, son of God, uh, God incarnate, still relating to the Father. And it seems to me, that Jesus' prayer life had two, two uh, uh, parts to it. One is it keeps this relationship alive with the Father. It keeps a relational connection with the Father. But it keeps him also aligned with his mission in this world. It is the easiest thing in the world, if, even if you're a, a person who's on mission, thinking about what you're trying to do in the world, thinking what God has assigned to you, It is super easy to lose track of that in this confusing world. And so Jesus would often draw away early in the morning and start his uh, day in prayer. In John 8, he says the results of this is that he only did what the Father told him to do. He only said what the Father said for him to do. The Father was always with him. Right? This is Jesus' understanding of his life. I I just do what he says. And he says the Father's pleased with me. It's Jesus' self-understanding. I only do what he says. I only say what he says. He's always with me, and I please him very much. And so he is being opposed by people with such religious strength and fervor and uh, you know, kind of wrong-heartedness. but he stays steady. He knows who he is. He knows what the Father's done. And then he delivers to us this masterpiece sermon of how things really are, and how we can enter into the good news that he has, this news that Bonhoeffer is saying, he brings this word, okay? So let me just talk a little bit about the word of the Sermon on the Mount. What is this word? Well, it's good news. It's talked about throughout the Bible as good news. Gospel is a word that means good news. It's like an announcement over the world. Something's happening now that is profound, that is profoundly good, Right? And the the word is Jesus himself. It says in John 1 that he was the word of God. Like Jesus incarnate is what God has to say about himself. This is who Jesus is. I'm going to go instead of just words. I'm going to be the word. I'll be the, the good news. So it would be very correct to say that Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is what God has to say in the world. And you can learn exactly who Jesus is. Jesus does two things. He shows us what God is like in the flesh, what, what God is like when you see him about his work. But he also shows us what a human being is like who is in this flow of steady relationship with God and steady alignment with God's mission. Right? It, he shows us uh, humanity. And the, the word that he brings is about the kingdom of God. It's about the fact that God is making all things new, that God is bringing his ways to bear in this world, this is, you know, the, the kingdom of God. And so when, when uh, Matthew 4, right before the Sermon on the Mount happens, uh, Jesus says, repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. And what is he saying? For one thing, I think it's hard for us to hear the word repent. I've got friends who planted a church in Amsterdam uh, in the Never- Netherlands, and they said they just found there were some words which Americans are comfortable with still or at some level comfortable with that just Europe is just done with. You just can't use the word repent and have it mean anything, okay? And and really for us sometimes the word and this word and other words are kind of old-fashioned. So what's the word repent means? The word repent essentially just means change all the way. Change all the way. You've got to make room for the new because there's, there, there's a need to... To change all the way. Barb and I, uh, over the next couple of weeks, are going to get a new bathtub. And yes, it's very nice. We're excited too. That's that's nice. But, you know, this is is the reality. We're not getting a new bathtub alongside our old bathtub, right? This is not a Cialis commercial, okay? we, (laughs) We are replacing our old bathtub. We don't have two bathtub slots in our house, right? We're going to get a new bathtub, so you got to get rid of the old bathtub, and that's essentially what the word repent means, and you probably didn't know that, right? (laughs) Repent means get rid of your old bathtub. That is what it means. That's what it totally means. God's bringing his kingdom in, and you are invited to enter into it, and the only way you can enter into it is get space for it. You've, you've got to give up the old so you could have the new. You've got to have get rid of the old king or queen of your life, which is essentially you, so that Jesus could be the king of your life. This is the way uh, we get a new king. And Jesus Jesus just say, look, we're taking over the place. This is all going to be healed and new one day, and you can be a part of it, but you'll have to get rid of you being in charge. You'll have to repent in order for this. And this news, this good news, this word comes, and the Beatitudes essentially say that the kingdom is available to all kinds of people who you might not think would be in on it, and the way it's available to them is by relying on Jesus. And sometimes you hear the word uh, believing, on Jesus or placing your faith in Jesus. Believing to me seems the weakest of all those words that we use. Because you can get, if you're not paying attention, you can get the idea that what God really wants us to do is check off a thought in our mind that we believe a fact like, do you believe in Tinkerbell, right? What he really wants us to do is this this idea, is like trust in or rely on. And so this King Jesus comes, Man, God's doing everything new. You can be a part of it. Of course, you can't both have the old way and have the new way. Here's the new way. Rely on Jesus. Really put your trust in Jesus. This is how we'll go forward like this, all right? So put your trust in Jesus. Anybody can. All kinds of kind of uh, unexpected people were excelling in kingdom goodness are all around Jesus. Really, all of his his 12 guys, they all have little flaws and weird backgrounds and different political positions and stuff, but they, they, they relied on Jesus and they, they spread the gospel throughout the world, okay? The good news is this, that ordinary people can be the flavor, the salt or the light of the world. This, see, this is what the Sermon on the Mount is, right? God's doing a brand new thing. Of course, you can't have your old way and have God's new way, but anybody can be in on this and the main way they'll do this is by relying on him and if they rely on him, they will be so filled with flavor and light, it will change the world. And this is an expression of true and deep transformation over a bare minimum. I was a youth pastor for years, and I I think it probably is safe to say that the the most curiosity we had in youth group was when we were teaching on uh, sex and physical relationships and dating and all this stuff. And it was often the case that the kids would ask questions that were sort of like, well, how much can I do? Like, what's the line? How close can I get to that line of things that God thinks are naughty, right? And it's, it's a perspective that I think a lot of people live with. Like, how much sin can I get away with and still somehow make it in the end? And what Jesus is doing is like, that is not the thought. I want to change your heart. So it's not like, well, I don't murder, but you really are a rageaholic, right? Or, you know, I, I don't go to war, but I sure do hold a grudge, right? And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. We are going way, way down for your heart. What Jesus is trying to do is form you into Christ-likeness. And then, of course, the flip side of this is one of the ways people get around this kind of uh, scrutiny, maybe, is they mask. They put a little smile on, put a little mask on, uh, and they're hypocrites. And so Matthew six starts out with this uh, kind of uh, teaching against hypocrisy, like or teaching in order to build up your reputation as somebody who's very, very holy. And Jesus just rejects that. It's the first kind of negative thing in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a rejection of superficial religion as an answer. And then it, later we'll get to this warning about how people not only mask to be accepted or mask to be thought of as very holy, but they mask like a wolf putting on sheep's clothing to lead wrong, to deceive, and he's, you know, utterly against that, you'll see, right? <clears throat> and then, of course, last week we talked about the wisdom of what, it, what we treasure, like what should we treasure, how good is worry at doing anything, and if you didn't If you didn't hear that sermon, go back and listen to it if you're wondering how helpful worry is. And then today, we get to this thing at the very center of the Sermon on the Mount, which is this, you can talk to God. This is really, could be the core of your life, talking to God. This is a big part. God uh, invites you to regularly talk to him, to boldly request things of him. Don't ever let anybody say that prayer is not about requesting things. Because it's a big part of all the prayers in the Bible. The Bible would be really surprised to hear some of the teaching about prayer. Like a lot of times we'll say, well, well, you know, prayer is just relating to God. Yes, but God continually asks us or invites us to pray things. Okay, So back to Bonhoeffer's quote here, the only proper response to this word, which Jesus brings with him from eternity, is simply to do it. The only proper response to a teaching on prayer, and the only way we'll know if this sermon was any good at all, is if we pray. We're going to be called to pray, and we're going to push into this over Lent. And what I really want to encourage you guys in your, in your uh, Leap of Faith groups or in your small groups that you're part of or in your friendship circle or around the table with your kids, is just say, like, hey, what are you trying to do in prayer? What are you learning about prayer? What's, what's working? What's not but seriously, the only proper response to good news from heaven coming about everything being changed is, are you doing it? Are you trying it? That's the only way to really engage or rely on Jesus. And, of course, the question that I have is, well, how do you do this? Dietrich, Right? if this is what we're supposed to do, how can we do it? And so Jesus has told us about this. There is good news about what to do. What we're doing with this Leap of Faith group over the uh, next couple of weeks is we're just trying to put some people in a kind of a shared life situation where they know each other, they're cheering each other on, they're they're stating to each other, here's what I'm trying to do, what are you trying to do? By the way, Kathy lists five things. If you are at zero things that you're trying to do in prayer, you might not want to try all five at once. (laughs) Just try something. Pray a big prayer for yourself or pray for two friends that you're concerned about or something like that. But let's work. Or let's all be trying to do something as we go forward. And we will encourage each other, okay? We will really encourage each other as we go. Now, on to Jesus' teaching about prayer. Next week, the Lord's Prayer, the famous Lord's Prayer. But I thought it was important as we start this off to go to this other teaching about prayer that comes right after it in the Sermon on the Mount. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Jesus does not hold back. Like, I'm going to just keep, keep myself safe here. He, everyone who asks, everyone who knocks, everyone who seeks. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you were evil, thanks, Jesus, Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Let's just take a look at this first part here about asking. Just uh, an essential to any healthy relationship is just the simple request. It's, It's part of relationship. Part of relationships right, is that we don't manipulate. We don't, we don't cause people to feel guilty. We don't uh, triangulate where we talk to some other person about a third person. We, we just go. We say, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I ask. Dad, can I borrow the car tonight? Um, will you marry me? Big question, right? Like, this is a part of just healthy relationships. Um, uh, Would you forgive me? right? Um, would you like to go out on a date tonight? Like, asking questions, they're free. They're, they're, it's how people relate. And one of the things that you see in the Sermon on the Mountain, really throughout Jesus' teaching, is he's got this heart conviction that God is real, okay? I mean, you might think, well, yeah, we're in church, dude. I, I know. But it is startling how much Jesus expects that if people like you and me would ask a question, God would listen to it and answer it. If people like you and me would just take him at his word, we would realize that God's all around us, which is sort of what he meant, is essentially what he meant when he said, our Father who's in heaven. He means our Father's all around us, All not some faraway place sitting on a golden throne, harps playing all around him. He means our father who's paying attention to us all the time, who knows our needs, who loves us more than anybody loves us, really all the picture would come from from anybody that has a really solid father. You could get some sense of it, that Jesus prays and he recommends prayer. And you know, throughout history there have been people who have really, really pushed into prayer. One of them is George Fox and the founder of Pennsylvania, William Penn, is a friend of Fox and a fellow Quaker. And uh, this is what he said about George Fox when he prayed. Above all, he, Fox, excelled in prayer. The inwardness and weight of his spirit, the reverence and solemnity of his dress and behavior, the fewness and fullness of his words. In other words, this guy prays and it makes him uh, select in what he says and filled with what, what, uh, his words being full when they speak. They have struck even strangers with admiration. And they, uh, and they used to reach others with consolation. The most awful, which is different than the way we use the word awful, but causing all, the most awful, living, reverent frame I have ever felt or beheld, I must say, was Fox in prayer. Of course, the disciples had an dis- uh, experience like that too, where one day when he was praying, they saw Jesus transfigured in front of him, which is just sort of a revelation of of what was actually going on. They were just allowed to see a man transformed as he talked to the living God. That's amazing. The promises for prayer are profound. And they're not limited to to this passage. Of course, really, there's just uh, radical, audacious promises for you. And again, I'm going to just say, which would be nice to know, but really nice if you say, from now on, I'm going to just try to pray like that. So listen to just a couple things Jesus taught about prayer. One, he said this, Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father might be glorified in the Son. That was John 14. John 15, he said this, You didn't choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. John 16, in that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Amazing, amazing open door to prayer. As is this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. So we just start to think, well, what does Jesus think about prayer? What does he teach us about? How do we actually navigate reality? When he's talking about the kingdom of God, he's saying, this is reality. Though you don't see it all, Though there is a faith element to you, to this, this is reality. And of course, we've got questions about uh, how well these promises are, uh, how these play out, because sometimes we pray, we have to wait a long time, or the response from God seems to be different than what we were hoping for. And those questions are real. But honestly, to come away, we, we have to start where Jesus starts, with incredible promise for people who ask God for things. And then we simply do it. That's what we're called to do, to simply do. Like it says in Matthew 7 at the end, it talks about a person who builds uh, their house on a solid foundation. And that foundation is just, I hear what Jesus teaches, teach. I hear what Jesus teaches, and I do it. Okay? we're going to build a solid foundation, watch this. Oops, a little volume would be great. Yeah. It's just music, so let me hum. Can ask if you have more questions. Ask Aaron over here. He'll tell you what comes next in the whole process. I mean, Aaron's a stonemason, but it looks like they're building a garage, perhaps there. And they're working. That was like uh, 45 seconds uh, of two days' work or so, right? Lots of work putting in a solid foundation for the work that they were about to do. I've told you before. At one time, when I was a kid my friends and i found some plywood in the woods and we thought of course we could build a little uh, fort for ourselves and so we got nails which you need right to build and we started trying to just nail the plywood you know like making corners out of pieces of plywood that were ill fit no frame no foundation of course it didn't last more than you know 10 minutes like i think we got in it i think we got out of it alive but that was about all it had no foundation at all and I think that Jesus is saying, listen, if you would, you know, kind of want to enter into like, how do we do the sermon? How does my heart change? How would I ever love an enemy? How would I forgive well? How could I, how could I just be like a, a replicator, an echo machine of the grace and goodness of God in this world? How would that happen? Well, you have to lay a foundation. The foundation the building on rock, he says in Matthew 7, is you know, doing things, is doing what he teaches. Like, take the teaching into your life. And in this character, at the, at the very core, is this, this teaching, ask me for things. That's how we're going to relate. You're going to ask for me for things, and we'll relate. We'll know each other. We'll build our relationship together. We'll build our alignment. Sometimes, you know, some, sometimes... It's not the, the kid asks for a fish and gets a snake. Sometimes the kid's asking for a snake and the father in his love doesn't give it, right? It's not that everything you think of to ask will be given to you, but that what the, the foundation of the relationship is is asking and receiving. I'll tell you a little story. This is just not, to, this is not the biggest story in my life, but I'll tell you it quickly. I had a Palm Pilot. Do you remember Palm Pilots? It was like, it was like a smartphone, but it didn't do like most of what a smartphone does, right? And I just thought it was cool. It's like a little computer for your hand. The very first kind of things that came out, and and you know maybe you had one too, and we could talk later about how great it was, um, for holding down papers on a stormy day and stuff like that. So I had this Palm Pilot, and uh, I know I needed a case for the Palm Pilot, and uh, one day I was driving. Uh, driving past a yard sale, and it just occurred to me, ask the Lord for a case for your Palm Pilot. I mean, so random, and so little, okay, so little, right? So uh, I, I said, Lord, would you give me a case for my Palm Pilot? And I got out of the car went over to the yard sale, and no kidding, there was a table, like one of these church tables we have these fold-up tables, and it was, like, filled with potential cases I mean, I can't even, like, you don't even believe me what I'm saying. There's, like, all kinds of things that one might buy <laughs> to put their Palm Pilot in. And there was one that was, like, perfect. I think it was for fingernail clippers or something like that. And my Palm Pilot fit right in it. And I just walked away going, like, Hold it. Did God care about my Palm Pilot? Or, like, was that, you? like, okay, so that happened. So, uh, uh, <laughs> I know it's so little, right? So a couple weeks later, uh, my car died, and I need to buy a new car. And I've got a, a kind of a car strategy. My car strategy is, I, first of all, I would always prefer a dark gray car like I have right now. I just like, like a charcoal gray car. I love that. And I had $2,000, which I probably just had by a miracle. I hardly had $2,000. I, I, so I asked the Lord, could I get a dark gray car for $2,000? And you know, God, please, you know... I'm terrible at working on cars. It has to be healthy. The engine has to work and stuff. Like, OK, so Memorial Day, I go out to look for this car. I pray the prayer. I really pray. I just oh, God, please, you know. But mostly, I'm thinking of that little Palm Pilot case. I'm thinking, like you did that day. That is amazing, right? So I go out. It's Memorial Day. All the dealerships, all the little car lots are all closed. Um, for whatever reason, or like the places where I could afford a car, they were all closed. And I, I was quite frustrated, just like coming to the end of my day of searching for a car. I kind of only had that day to search. So my day off. And uh, as I was coming back to the house, having found all these places closed or no real good answers to my prayer, uh, I was driving to my house, but I was driving a different way than I ever went before because I was just coming from this circuit. And I drove past a gray Mazda that had, in giant letters on on the windshield, (laughs) $2,000. I kind of liked it. And when I talked to the guy who was selling it, he went into the glove box, and he pulled out like a stack of receipts of all the work he had ever done on it. Like, it had really been maintained well. It served me well for a long time. It was the color I wanted. And I just think, okay, does God care about that stuff? Will you all get a $2,000 car if you just ask for it after the service? I, look, that's not the teaching. The teaching is that we are to ask, and that we're like invited to ask. We're taught to ask. We're supposed to be and asking people. Uh, Barb prays for really little things. She prays for parking spots, which I do not do, OK? <laughs> I, I mean, talk to Barb if you want to know the recipe for that prayer. All, all I know is that we don't have any data about which of us gets better parking spots. I do know, no matter prayer or not, my car gets closer to the curb for sure. <laughs> but we're meant to pray. We're, we're supposed to be praying. People are invited to pray. And we're, we're, the, the foundational kind of response to this is not just to hear the teaching of Jesus, but to do it. And to pray, and of course I pray for much bigger things. There's things I've noticed about prayer, like I've got one friend in my life who comes to me and will never disclose what she's asking prayer for, okay? But she may be the person in the church who most often asks me to pray for her, so this would be how a conversation would go. Hey, uh, how you doing? Hey, would you pray for me? Yeah, I'll pray for you. What do you want prayer for? And she'd be like, you know, like, just whip up one of your, you know, prayers, (laughs) something like that okay so it's just her attitude is let's leave room for the spirit what i really find is though i often start with nothing often god not only answers the prayer but helps me form the prayer and you might be thinking like why i don't even know how to pray well pretty much that's what the lord's prayer is for is to teach you patterns of prayer we will get to that but also let the spirit lead you in your prayers that's what god does he He answers prayer. And of course, all of this is based on the father. Okay, Jesus' point is, look, you people know how to give good gifts, though you are evil. Right. So why you got to throw that in there, Jesus? Right. But (laughs) don't you think it's like an insider's look at how Jesus thinks about us sometimes? Like, you know, you guys, you evil people, (laughs) you know how to give good gifts to your kids. And and it's true. I do know how to give good gifts to my kids. I love my kids, and I would really try in any way to give them what would be good for them and good for our relationship and within my power to do. Of course, when we're talking about the Father God, there's lots in his power. We prayed recently for Russ Nixon. Our, our friend Mark's dad he was really struggling in health just a month ago or so, and, and we're, just, we're just very concerned for his life and for his well-being going forward. and Many, many people from all these different segments of his life places he had worked, the communities he, he had served. Uh, he served us in the early years of our church, and so I had a real dear place in my heart. And Russ is doing incredibly well, incredibly well, okay? Uh, and his heart, which was the main concern, has, has been 100% healed, right? There's still progress to be made, and you can still pray for Russ, but uh, you know we're just as happy as can be. There's Mark and Jenna's wife, over there. You know, there's anybody in this room who could say, well, I don't believe in this, or I prayed and something didn't happen. But what if we just back up to what does Jesus teach and what should be our practice, and what would it take for us to move from where we are now to where we're further down the line, just really saying, God, you're a good God, and I want to push into this. And I'm willing. I'm willing to acknowledge because God doesn't always say yes. As far as I can observe, certainly prayed for things that didn't happen or uh, people who were sick who didn't get healed. Right? Sometimes I do ask wrong. James says sometimes we have the wrong motives when we ask. Right? Sometimes there's a there's a, a waiting aspect. Two of Jesus' parables um, had to do with persisting in prayer. Like this isn't a Coke machine, right? You just put in some quarters, outcomes, what you want. Of course, Jesus, on on the night of his betrayal, the night we're going to celebrate today, said, Father, if there's any way, can I get out of this deal? And there was no way. So we'll take all of the Bible into our council here. But if we're going to build a solid way of being, if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, people who learn things from Jesus, what if we prayed a lot? What if we learned to pray? What if we said no to certain practices, certain bathtubs of our life that might have to move so the new thing could come in? And what if love was the motive for our prayer? You know, so often verse 12 is just taken out as though it's like a plaque or something to hang on the wall. In my day, growing up in the elementary schools, this would be hanging on the wall of the school, the words of Jesus. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. This is what the whole law is about. All the prophets, this is what they were talking about. People preferring the well-being of others. And so as their main gesture in life being, what is good for the other? What if that was how we prayed and how we formed our prayer requests? As as though we have a power, as though we are partners with God in kingdom work, doing things to bring the kingdom of God in the lives of other people like five other people in your life who don't have a real picture of God to even build a life on. Dallas Willard, when he paraphrases the Lord's prayer, this is what he says. Dear Father, always near us, May your name be treasured in love. May your rule be completed in us. May your will be done here on earth in just the way that it's done in heaven. Give us today the things we need today and forgive us our sins and our impositions on you as we are forgiving all who in any way offend us. Don't put us through trials, but deliver us from everything bad. What we're going to try to do is push, push, push into an amazing promise given to us by Jesus. And if you think about, well, why do we pray? Willard has an interesting perspective on this, and I'll just read this to you as we close. Uh, this is Willard's perspective on what God might be doing in putting us into the process, into the flowchart of how does the kingdom come in this world. Here's what he says. Prayer as kingdom praying, is an arrangement explicitly instituted by God in order that we as individuals may count, and count for much, as we learn step by step to govern, to reign with him in the kingdom. To enter and to learn this reign is what gives individual life its intended significance. Now think about this. Your significance is learning to exert to to work with God to bring his ways into reality in this broken world, right? That's what prayer is. This high calling also explains why prayer frequently requires much effort, continuous effort, and in some matters, possibly years and years of effort. Prayer is, above all, a means of forming our character. It combines freedom and power with service and love. What God gets out of our lives and indeed what we get out of our lives is simply the person we become. Okay, now listen to this next thing. It's mind-blowing, right? Yes, I do like Dallas Wood, right? It is God's intention that we should grow into the kind of person he could empower to do whatever we want to do. What God's intention is, is that we would grow to be the kind of person that if we said something in prayer, it would be utterly in line with his will. That doesn't come the first day you start. That is a lifetime of growing, that you would exert kingdom authority perfectly aligned with God. And then he, f- he finishes up with this uh, sentence, which my page turned it says, it says this. Um, then we are ready to, quote, reign forever and ever, Revolution, Revelations 22. In other words, your eternal destiny is be formed as you learn to pray. Let me give you a couple things to try as we walk away from this. Uh, one, I definitely would encourage you to just join one of these Leap of Faith groups or if you're in a small group right now to practice these uh, practices we're recommending here Really, and uh, as you're doing this, what I'm really hoping these groups would be was a bunch of people helping each other, like check-in times, like, um, you know, we talk about in Shared Lives, we talk about uh, grace and truth together, like a gracious, truthful accountability, like how'd it go this week, well, I didn't pray at all this week, great, let's try again next week, right, we're, we're going to help each other, we're going to bring this into a group dynamic and help one another, alright, and pray for your five. If you can think of five people in your life who would be better off if they had a clearer picture of, of Jesus or, or more, right, pray for them. Right, Pray for something that only God can do. Let's, let's be able to say on Easter, God did this. I was asking him to do this. I would have never been able to do it without him. And I'll just uh, lift up Russ and his story as a great example of something only God could have done. Right? And then I'll just say this. Decide now. Right now, this minute, whether or not you'll build your foundation by doing what Jesus is talking about. You'll walk out of here and you'll think, oh, that was a good sermon. Or you might walk out of here thinking that was a bad sermon. Whatever you're thinking. Or you could walk out of here saying, you know, I'm going to try this. I'm going to give this a try. And lastly, I'll just say this when we stand together.